Tissue reload. Good morning, church. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for leading us in worship today. Haven't sung nearer my God to thee all the way through in a long time. It is a great request, isn't it? That we would actually be near to God. I, I, I love the Apostle Paul's statement that today we are nearer than we were before. Every day that is true. Every day we are nearer the coming of Jesus than we've ever been before. May we also be nearer the heart of Jesus than we ever have been before. As we, uh, as we start today, we're going to be talking a little bit about founding fathers. Now, you might recognize these gentlemen. The founding fathers that we all talk about as, uh, as the founders of, the, uh, of the, this nation that we are blessed to be a part of. These, uh, these gentlemen and a group of others who uh, pledged themselves and their fortunes and their sacred honor to this event, to this, this depend- or independence that they were declaring. And they set a standard of thinking that has carried us through for a long, long time. Um, ups and downs and sideways moves from a lot of different people and politicians and uh, issues in history and wars and battles and fights among ourselves. All of those things have still left us standing. We still live in uh, the greatest nation on God's green earth. Um, There are lots of other places and lots of other ways people do things, but, um, man, we are blessed to be a part of such a place in such a time. Today, however, I want to acquaint us with the other founding fathers. Um, In this uh, particular slide, you'll see a text from... Uh, the book of Ezra, chapter 1 and verse 1. Now, the first, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord might, by the mouth of Jeremiah, might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. One of the commentators on the books of Ezra and Nehemiah says, Israel, as a family, went into Egypt and birthed out of the trauma of those 400 years in Egypt was a nation. And Israel as a nation went into Babylon and birthed out of the trauma and the struggle of those 70 years in Babylon was birthed a church. It's been a thousand years since the Exodus when we get to this part of the story. But I want you to consider that what's founded is not a new nation, but a nation following after God. We've wondered where the Pharisees come from, where the Sadducees come from, where the Samaritans come from. They all come out of this story. The pieces that we've been unfolding here, as you've read Ezra and Nehemiah, as you looked at those things, these are where those things that we find in the first century are birthed. The Pharisees come really out of the line of Ezra, that that line of people who said, look, we need to make sure we're keeping 
right with God, were walking appropriately. And, and they began to set in order a process where the people would be trained and learn and grow and discover and understand what it meant to follow God. The rabbinic tradition, the birth of the idea of actually having rabbis comes out of this time. Because Israel had drifted so far away from God as to be cast off into Babylon by God. And so they never wanted that to happen again. Birthed out of a mistake, like the Seventh-day Adventist Church itself, birthed out of a mistake, this new group didn't want to make that mistake again. And so they put in place these Pharisees and Sadducees and rabbis. They put in place these churches that were never more than a mile away if you were walking on Sabbath. If you, they were never more than a mile away for you to get to one. So there were, there were all of these synagogues and all of these little communities. And that gave them the opportunity to go and learn and talk and discover who God was, who God was and what he was like. About a hundred years into the experiment that would be this new nation, their half-brothers and sisters, their semi-cousins, the Samaritans, built a rival temple on Shechem, in Shechem. And it would be that, that temple that would stand up until the first century. Under the blessing of the Greeks, they built this rival temple. And when... When Jesus arrives on the scene, there's, there are two temples, a Samaritan temple and a Jewish temple. It's why at the woman at the well could ask, where should we worship? Our, our fathers have worshipped on this mountain. And they had for 300 years. This nation hasn't been around for 300 years. And yet this 300-year-old temple was the Johnny-come-lately of temples. And you worship in Jerusalem. And that's when Jesus tells her, those who worship, those who follow after God, those who truly know God's heart, worship in spirit and in truth. It's not where you are, but what you are and who you know that matters. And so birthed out of this moment, this, this statement in Ezra, the stirring of the, the, the heart of Cyrus the king by the spirit of God, is that first century church you recognize in your New Testament. When you see them and the temple is central to everything that's going on in their lives. It wasn't like that before Babylon. The temple was so ancillary that they forgot it for generations. They didn't even remember the Torah. They hadn't thought about it. If you, re if you read through the books of Kings and Chronicles, you see that for long periods of time, they completely neg neglected following it at all. And yet, when this new nation is born, this new, this new country is born, it's, it's not a country, it's not a nation, it's really a church. It's a, it's a religion, it's a belief system, it's a structure for following after God. It's Methodists, it's Methodism's first breath. How do we go about following God? And so as we, as we kind of lay some groundwork and start thinking about, start talking about, this rebuilding that's about to go on. I want you to understand, yeah, there's a wall being rebuilt, a physical brick and mortar sort of a wall. But what's being rebuilt is much more than a wall. You with me so far? Okay, just nod. Okay. I want to introduce you to these founding fathers. Now, you've, you've seen George Washington and John Adams and Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin. And here's, not these guys, these are random guys. But the guys you should know are Zerubbabel, Yeshua, Ezra, and Nehemiah. 
These are the founding father of the new Israel born out of Babylon. These are the founding fathers who would bring in Zerubbabel and Jeshua's uh, tenure the rebuilding of the sanctuary and the reestablishment of a settlement on this broken land. They're, they're truly building a beachhead for the people of Israel. 40,000 of them come and they, they begin to reestablish the communities and the cities, rebuild the houses and rebuild the temple. They begin to just get that scratch in the earth that makes it possible to plant a tree and that tree begins to grow and begins to blossom, begins to flower, begins to fruit and it becomes the nation of Israel. And as that, that tree, that nation continues to drive and grow, Ezra comes along and Ezra comes along and he says, look, you've, you've built your houses, you've built the temple. Now let's, let's work on your heart. Let's work on your soul. Let's work on your spiritual life. And he's focusing them on what it means to follow after God, what it means to trust in God. He's focusing them on the, the religious cycle that God had put into place. While in Babylon, while away from God, Israel rediscovered what it meant to follow the feast cycles and how important they were in the life and, and the nurture of the religious body of their faith in God. And so he began to reestablish that cycle in, the, in people's minds. And they began to come to the temple three, four times a year. They began to come and, and worship God when he said to come. To, to come at Passover. To come at Pentateuch. To come at the Feast of Trumpets. To celebrate the Feast of Booths. They began to come and they began to celebrate. And they began to, to realize that in those celebrations was the anchor of their faith. What are the anchors of your faith? What are the anchors of your family? What are you doing? Do you, have, do you have a Sabbath evening ritual that anchors your family in that experience? Do you do things? Do you have a meal together? Do you light candles? Do you celebrate the entrance of Sabbath into your life? Do you, do you put anchors in the lives of your children that they will look back on as they grow? Are you building those into your own thinking and into your own life? Is there a rhythm to your spiritual life? Is there intentional rhythm to what you're doing? Is there intentionality about your walk with God? Are you looking into things that are, that are keeping you moving? Are you, are you working on processes in your life that establish and strengthen and renew your faith on a regular basis? You're here this morning, Sabbath morning in the church with the family. That's part of that renewal experience. That's part of that strengthening experience. Sabbath evening as Friday starts, are you beginning the Sabbath with some sort of a marker, some sort of a celebration? Are you ending the Sabbath with any kind of a recognition? So often we let the Sabbath just disappear like it walked out of the house without saying goodbye. Are there any things in your life? How do you celebrate those, those holidays that come around? You know, in, in, in America, we have this weird thing. We're trying to get away from our religious traditions of the past, and yet we have these religio, pseudo-religio holidays. You, what do you do with those things? Do you talk to your kids about, about the resurrection? Do you talk to your kids about the coming of Jesus? When Thanksgiving happens at your house, who are you thanking? Do you ever think about that? The whole nation says, thank you. To who? Are you stopping to ask yourself, are these rhythms in my life returning and restoring my relationship with God? Are there, are there breaches in the walls that are being rebuilt by these rhythms? Oh, and the last one, Nehemiah finally comes along and Nehemiah builds the structural walls around the society and around the building. A city without a wall wasn't a city at all. Because bandits could come and go as they pleased. Wild animals could come and go as they pleased. Another nation could come and just sweep you off of your hilltop at any moment. There was, there was a nation without a, without a wall and therefore not a nation yet existed. And so they reestablished a place. They reestablished a rhythm and a structure and an anchor for their faith 
And then they reestablished the wall. And that's what we're going to spend a little time on today. What's, what's left of this? this? These founding fathers left this in their wake. One of the most recognizable cities in the world. What's funny to me, funny, weird, interesting, odd, is that the two things here that are most recognizable in that city is that golden dome. That minaret next to it, those are related to a completely different religion. Religion born 700 years later. Those, those, those markers on Jerusalem have nothing to do, to, to, to do with Judaism or Christianity where it was birthed. They have to do with a religion born 700, 800 years later. But that, that wall, it's a retaining wall. Anybody got a retaining wall at your house? Can you imagine going out in the backyard and praying at the retaining wall? Because that's what that is. Judaism is left with one ancient marker that everybody in the, in the world of Judaism recognizes, and it's a retaining wall. Kind of crazy, isn't it? That what's left as the as the whole, one of the holiest places in Israel is a wall that was simply built to hold back some dirt. It's funny what we build walls for, isn't it? And yet, in the cracks of that wall are, are millions of people's prayers. Week after week, day after day, morning and evening, people are coming and they are praying and they're rolling up. I've done it myself. I've rolled up some of my own prayers and pressed them into the crack in that wall. Not because there's something magical about that crack or that wall. But it's just a reminder of what God has done and who he is. This wall is more than a retaining wall for the people of Israel. It's a monument to their existence because before they came back they didn't exist when they went off to Babylon they disappeared and could have disappeared off the face of history but because of the divine intervention of God he was the one who touched Cyrus' heart because of the divine intervention of God he's the one who had Artaxerxes send Ezra and then Nehemiah back because of the divine intervention of God they exist in this wall as a memorial to the intervention of God on their behalf. There are pieces of this wall. This one. Not the others I'll show you in a minute necessarily, but this one. There are pieces of this wall that date back to David and Solomon. That's why this wall is important to Israel. Because the whole history of a nation is written in those blocks. Is the history of your, nation, of your family written in the blocks of the walls you build? Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It came to pass. Three, three little dots mean what? We skipped something. As I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hananiah, one of my brethren, came, from, came with me from Judah and asked me, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. So he asks this person coming back from Judah, what's going on at home? 
What's happened with those who've gone back? What's happening at Jerusalem? How are things doing? How are people, how are people doing? How are things going? And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress. And what? Reproach. They've been there for a hundred years. They're still in distress and reproach. What's happening? They're still in distress and reproach because the wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. This is not a new thing. This has happened 200 years ago when, when Nebuchadnezzar himself had destroyed the walls and burned the gates. They've gone back. They've rebuilt the temple. They've rebuilt their homes. Ezra has come and reestablished those systems and cycles of religious practice. But the people are in reproach. Because a city without a wall isn't a city at all. A city without a wall wasn't a city at all. Because bandits could come roaming in any time I want. Another nation could come and just wipe them off the face of that mountaintop. Destroy their temple with impunity because there was no protection for the people of God. Because there was no wall. So I came to Jerusalem, chapter 2, and was there three days. I rose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Nor was there any animal with me except the one which I rode. It's funny to me, he says, there was no animal with me except all that, that donkey I was riding. Just a quiet little donkey. And they went around the outside of the wall. And they surveyed the situation. Have you surveyed your wall lately? Have you taken a look at it for yourself? Have you, have you considered your own? Have you taken a look, a night ride around your own wall, kind of looked at what's going on in your life? Have you, have you tried to figure out, are you, are, is it solid? Is it, has it been breached? Does it have holes? Have the gates been burned up? What does your wall look like? What does it look like to you? What... What is the wall of your own faith looking like today? Is it in good repair? Is it in disrepair? Did you break it down? Did someone else? Is it bright and shiny? Is it old and dilapidated? What does that wall around your own experience look like today? We're going to talk about walls quite a bit today, so I'd just like you to think about it. He finds something that looked like that. As he went around the city and he started looking at the wall, riding his donkey and then walking because he couldn't take it over the rubble in all the places where it was, he found that the city looked something like this. He found that the wall around Jerusalem looked something like that. No wonder they were in distress and no wonder they were a reproach because anybody who walked by the city of Jerusalem looked at that and they just shook their head. They worship God up there. They worship the God. Listen, they, they, they say they worship the God who created everything in the world. They say their God is bigger, better, cooler, more awesome than our God, and they worship him up there? <laughs> their God's a joke. He can't even get his walls rebuilt. Do you see the reproach? Anybody ever looked at yours and shook their head? Anyone ever looked at ours and said, whoa, they say they worship a, an amazing God, but man, that doesn't look so amazing to me. So Nehemiah chapter 2, he continues, then I said to them, his brethren around him in 
the area around Jerusalem. You see this, you see the distress that we're in? How Jerusalem lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me. And also the king's words that he had spoken to me. He tells him, God has blessed me and brought me thus far. Let's build the building. Let's build the wall. Let's get this thing done. Let's make this happen. I don't know what you know about the story, but they go to work. And they section out this wall and so-and-so builds by his house and so-and-so builds by his house and so-and-so builds by his house. And people start building the wall around the city. They, they take sections that are primarily their interest around their home, around their businesses, around the kinds of things that they feel need to be protected. And they began building this wall and they work day and night and the people outside the wall. By the way, the people outside the wall are all related to Israel. The Arabs are related through Abraham as cousins. Senbalit. <clears throat> excuse me, and Tobiah are both related to Israel through their own bloodline. These are their cousins who are wandering around the city, shaking their head and saying, what are those people, what are those nuts doing up there? They're out of their mind thinking they can rebuild that city. Gee, there's piles of rubble. You'll never get it done. And they start making fun of them and telling jokes. And they say, ah, yeah, that stupid wall they're building, if a fox were to walk across it, it'd fall over. And you know what, you know what their, their, their leader, Nehemiah, says? Ignore them. And they just keep working. When they see that they're being ignored, they try other tactics. They try political tactics. They go to the city and ask the city to take away their right to build. Doesn't work. They keep building. They threaten them. They said, if you keep this up, we're going to attack you. They arm themselves and keep building. And then they try distraction and they say, okay, we can see that you're getting this done, Nehemiah. Would you come to a meeting? Come join us at this meeting. Come over here. Leave what you're doing. Come have a meeting with us. And he says, I'm doing a very important thing. I don't have time for you guys. Sorry. And they keep building. And they just keep building. Halfway through the building, he has to remind them of the call of God in their life and what he expects and what he wants and how he will bless and how he will care for them. Halfway through a 152-day project, he has to stop and recast the vision. That's how bad vision leaks. That's how bad mission leaks. We, we have this great, we're excited, we walk out the door, and Monday comes. And ugh, drains out of us. You know, we walk into our office, and, and, and the, the boss lays something on our desk, and ugh, this great dream and vision and, and idea of what God might do in our life and do for others through us, that it just goes away. The wind is pulled right out of our sails. Vision leaks desperately from our lives <laughs> through the holes in the dike. He finishes the wall. This is a picture of the wall they built, or what's left of it. It's a stacked stone wall. There's no mortar. It's a, it's a stacked stone wall backed in by block, or backed in by rubble and rocks. This is, the, this is a, a, a piece of that wall, just a, just a tiny little section unearthed recently by archaeologists near the city of David. Here's another piece of it as it turns the corner. You can see the end of it down there is a little bit more finished. There's a little more left of the, of the final layer of rocks. They actually put a path on top of the wall, a walking path at the top so they could 
move around the city. You can see it's a corner of the wall that they were rebuilding. 152 days they went about building the wall and they completed it around the city of Jerusalem. Now, you see the pile of rubble down here on this bottom portion of the picture? It was like that all the way around the city. There's piles of rock everywhere. Because the city had been demolished, not just, torn, not, not, not just emptied or, or, or exploded or caught on fire. It had been systematically demolished. And for the hundred years that it had left, been left untended, people came and stole rocks for their houses. This is what happened with old piles of rocks. They didn't just stay around. People came and took them away. And they built other things with them. You find rocks from one building and another building all over the place in the ancient Near East. Here's a rock out of some temple in the foundation of some other building because it was the right size rock. Why quarry a new one when you can steal one? People will steal rocks from your wall. Your wall is in disrepair. And the rocks are on the ground. Open season on your wall. The devil will be happy to steal the repair material out of your life. In Isaiah 58.12, we're, we're accustomed to, to quoting and hearing this verse. I don't think I want to launch where this thing is going to take your head, so I'm going to try to pull you back from the brink. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. Who's writing this? Who's I-S-A in the reference? Isaiah. It's about 200 years before this moment when Isaiah is writing this. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall... Raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. Now we have pulled this text forward into modern times, but let this text lay where it lays in Nehemiah's time. That it's re- it is truly Nehemiah, Ezra, Zerubbabel and Yeshua, who are the restorers of the breach. They're the ones who return the streets that they may be dwelt in. They're the ones who give Jerusalem a wall and allow it to be a city once again. These guys are the restorers of the breach that was there to be restored on that pile of rubble. 152 days. Amazing. Less than half a year. They restore the wall around Jerusalem. You know why? Because everybody got in. Everybody got in. I told you earlier, one of the things I'm most excited about that's happened over the last two years when we've been doing fundraising for this building on the other, side, other, uh, other half of our property over there is that we've gone from 90 people who originally made commitments to helping raise the money to 200 people who have given. That's cool to me. Of a church this size, you're, we're approaching... Two-thirds, maybe three-fourths of the, of the giving units of this congregation who are in, who are vo- involved, who have already laid a buck down. Things can be done when we do them together. Things we, we couldn't even imagine separately can be accomplished in amazing ways when we do them together. When we pull together as a body, amazing things happen. 152 days The breaches in the wall are restored. The gates are enclosed. 
and the walls ready to go to defend the nation. Okay. I don't know why it doesn't want to move. There it goes. What's the point of a wall? Have you ever thought about it? There are lots of reasons for walls. We looked at a retaining wall. What's, re- what's being retained behind a retaining wall? Usually dirt. Usually a retaining wall is just holding something up, right? It's just keeping the side of a hill from, from collapsing and our, our house from falling into the ocean. A retaining wall is just there to maintain sort of the, the stuff that's already there. Keep it from falling down. Do you need retaining walls in your life? Is there a space in your life where you need a wall that will just retain what you've gained? I do. I need to be able to retain what I've gained so far and not let it leak out. Not let it go away on me. What else? What else is the wall for? A wall's there for defense, right? A wall's there for defense, to protect what's inside the wall. You put a wall up in order to, to defend what's behind that wall. Are there any of the, any of your, uh, of your spiritual walk, any of your family, any element of your life that needs a wall around it just, just to protect it? There is in mine. There are places I just need some protection. I love the picture of Job where the Bible says, where, where Satan actually is heard to say to God, you have a hedge about Job that I can't even get through. That's mine. That's the one I want. I don't know how you all feel about it, but from my perspective, there is no better. I, I would love for Satan to be complaining to God. You, I can't even get to that guy. That's right. We put walls up for all sorts of purposes. I'm, I'm just aware. That without the wall, Jerusalem was in ruins. It was lying in waste. And it was a reproach. When our walls are broken, the wall of Jerusalem wasn't all gone. There was still a wall there. You could tell where the wall had been laid. That's how they built the wall so quickly. It didn't have to be completely rebuilt. They were restoring sections of the wall and repairing. They weren't completely starting from scratch. But if the wall has a giant hole in it, you don't really have a wall. Right? If the wall has 40 giant holes in it, it's worthless completely. How's your wall looking? Have you made a survey of your wall lately? Have you taken a look around it? Have you walked it? Have you built some walls in bad places? Have you built some walls you shouldn't have built? I'm reminded of Eve. Eve built a wall around the tree of knowledge of good and evil in her head, right? You know the story, right? Adam and Eve are there in the garden. The devil starts to tempt Eve. He says, hey, Eve, baby, how you doing? Eve stops because that's how you get a girl to stop, right? Everybody knows that. Eve stops to have a little conversation with the devil. Good Eve. Eve, never seen you look better. Hey, I know God said you weren't supposed to eat of this tree and all that sort of stuff, but I'm I'm telling you, this is good stuff. Crunch. And Eve says, oh, no, 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 no. We're not supposed to eat of that tree. We're not even supposed to touch it. You see, that's where Eve built the wall. Eve built a wall around the tree that said, if I can't touch it, I can't eat it. Right? This is why, as a fat guy, I probably should just put a padlock, give the key to somebody else in my, on my refrigerator. Right? 
lock that baby up, build a wall around it so that I can't even touch it. Somebody, somebody opens it every couple of days and gives me a carrot. Eve had built a wall that God had not built. And Satan blew the wall over like the wolf and the three little pigs. Because there wasn't a wall founded on God. Do you have any walls that shouldn't be where they are? Walls that you've kind of put up to protect ideas that maybe aren't God's ideas? A wall is generally to protect what's inside from what's outside, right? The gates in the wall are the wall's most vulnerable places, right? Right? When, you, when, they, when, these, when you watch the movie and they're trying to break into the fortress, what do they ram with the big log? The gate. It's always the gate. It's the weak spot. You need gates, right? You need gates because you've got to get out and you've got to get stuff in, but it makes you vulnerable because now you have to go out and touch the world out there. And when you go out and touch that world, you might get cooties or something. Not from you, buddy. But as soon as you break through the, that outer protection, you go into that outer life, what happens? You might get something. You might have something. And I know a whole bunch of people who, who are so worried they build fortresses without gates in their spiritual life. They build these, these massive fortresses without gates because the gates are the vulnerable part. God has never built a lake with a dam. We do. Sometimes they blow out. Those places where things are exchanged with the outside, those become those moments of vulnerability, those places where we struggle. The wall's there to protect what's inside from what's outside. How's your wall? If you're 15, have you started a wall yet? Have you started building one yet? Have you, have you started looking at what you want to protect in your life? Have you, have you considered that there may be some things outside you want to protect yourself from? Have you even looked at a wall? Have you considered having one? If you're 75, have you built the walls of Babylon around yourself? Are they so high you can have chariot, so wide you can have chariot races on the top of them and so high nobody's getting over them? In this chapter in Isaiah 58 with the restoring of the breach... It's an interesting reading if you read the whole thing. We get the first verse and we get verse 12, but we rarely read the ones in between. Look at this particular set. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, is that a sign that that might be a hole in the wall? There's not this one. It's holding the, the dike. It's this one. The pointing of the finger, the speaking of wicked, speaking wickedness. If you extended your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness. Your darkness shall be as a noonday and you shall be like a water garden. You restorers of the breach. This is what life will look like. You'll, you'll be caring for the people. You'll be looking for the people. You'll be helping other people. Does it look like you might have to have a gate? 
If I just build a wall, I'm not getting to any other people, right? So I might have to have a gate. Does God know I need a gate? Is he going to leave me unprotected if I go out of the gate? Beware of the fortress mentality. So I'm, I'm wanting to call for restoring the wall, but I don't want you to be in a fort. I want to call for restoring the wall, but I don't want you to build a fort that's impenetrable to anything because you're useless behind that wall. You see, the restored wall still allowed for the, the people behind the wall to be able to access and touch and love and bless and be a kindness and be caring to others. I'm not talking about building a wall around yourself that's impenetrable by anything. I'm talking about putting a gate in the wall or several gates in the wall or lots of gates in the wall that say... Through this, I can reach the world and touch the world and love the people and, and be of, of help. Be of assistance to God and transform the world and be a kingdom bless, blessing. You see, a tomb is just a little tiny fort. And ultimately, a tomb is the most protected you will ever be from the outside. Beware the fortress mentality because you squeeze this fortress down and down and down and down. It's nothing more than a tomb. And man, there's a bunch of death in the church because of this. There's a bunch of death in the church because of this. There are just times when we are so driven by fear that the only thing we can imagine is getting a wall around us so tightly that nothing could ever reach us. It's six feet thick on all four sides with a two-foot square in the middle that I squish myself into. And it's just a tomb. I even put a lid on it because I'm afraid that some corruption might come from the sky. Be careful of the fortress mentality because the fortress mentality leads to the entombment of God's church. We need walls. We need strong foundations theologically and personally. We need to practice rituals of our faith that strengthen and encourage every single thing we want to do as we follow God. We need places we will not go beyond. We need considerate or considered decisions about our values and our morals. We need understanding of who we are and what we are and why we are. But be careful of the extreme that makes you, not, makes you useless to the world around you. Of such, so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. Yes, there needs to be a restoration. We need to be looking at the wall. We need to be asking, is something falling down around my life that I need to patch? They need to be restored. It doesn't, take, doesn't need to take forever. 152 days to put the wall around Jerusalem. It doesn't need to take forever. With God's help, you can... Build it right back up. But don't seal up the gates. I've told you before, the commandments of God are not part of the wall. They're the gates. They're the openings. They're the opportunities. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all your heart, mind, and spirit. Ultimately, 
at the end of the day, the people of Israel reestablished their city. All they wanted to do was keep the bandits out. All they wanted to do was protect themselves from what was outside. All they wanted to do was make it safe for them to worship inside the city of Jerusalem, safe for them to have houses inside the city of Jerusalem, safe for them to be there. And, and God said, oh, yeah, go ahead, get your wall built. It's good. Go ahead, keep it up. I'll help you get it built. Awesome. Let's get these, let's get these gates fixed. Let's, let's give you a sense of security and safety, and let's restore these things in your life so you can have peace. And he says the same thing to you and me. Let's restore these things in your life so you can have peace. I don't know what yours are. Maybe you've fallen into some habits that are just killing you. Maybe you've fallen into some behaviors that are destroying your spiritual life. Maybe there's breaches in this wall big enough to drive a Mack truck through. Maybe you've neglected it to the point you don't even know where it begins and ends anymore. I'm telling you, God wants to put it back up to give you peace. And then understand... Once that protective blessing is around you, once, once the, the appropriate gates are in the wall, once the breaches have been restored that are destroying your spiritual life, once all of that is true, so is this. At the end of the day, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for you. I'm not saying the wall determines God's blessing. I'm saying the wall is God's blessing. I'm not saying the wall will somehow make you untouchable. I'm saying the wall will make a spot of such great blessing you'll want to spill it out the gate. I'm mixing a whole ton of metaphors here, and I'm hoping you're catching at least a bit of this. If there's a break and you can feel it, you know what it is, fix it. But don't seal yourself up because they're just going to create a tomb. Let's pray.